0: ourselves of how awesome it is. I ask you, Lord, to help to help me bring forth this word, this message, and help us to get a hold of it deep down in our heart. And we thank you, Father, and praise you. And in Jesus' name. Recently received a lot of letters and seen a lot of calls to prayer from various ministers and just regular people around the country. And to me, that should signal to us that God's getting ready to do something. The enemy works very hard to convince people that prayer it's like, you know, I've been praying all these years and, and really what has it done? A lot. You know, if it was effective prayer. It's just that a lot of times we can't see the effects. And then there's also the principle of God waiting for the right time, you know, and so the fact to me that you have people across the country calling for prayer, something about that is, is like a, it's like a precursor, it's like we're standing on a threshold, you know. And so be in prayer, pray hard for revival, pray for people's hearts, pray for the nation, Okay? If you get tired in prayer, just lean back and rest in God for a while, and then take it up again. I'm not teaching on prayer today, but you can go back and find some teachings on that. But Anyway, let me get into this. So You know that when we first, um, me and Tammy first came here several years ago, one of the things I immediately noticed that is when visitors came in to this building, they are, they, they, they are quickly welcomed. Um, people go out of their way to make them feel like they belong. You know we've said in the past and i and I've personally experienced this in church where it 's like when someone comes into the building, a lot of times it 's not that people are trying necessarily to ignore them or to try to alienate them, uh, so I get the feeling that it's like uh oh visitors when we talk to them we 'll scare them off don't don 't look at them don't 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 look at them you know um, let's all take turns looking over and see if, <laughs> you know and uh being of this mindset that we have here in this body this is a, it's it's a great way to bring in more church family to bring in more people and you know as and their family as long as we understand that their family as long as they're here and if it should come to a point where they leave then they become extended family. Amen. Sometimes when people come in, you know, you just know in your heart this is where God wants them for a time. Not always, you know, so there's been people that come in and I'm like seems like you should be here for a while. You know, you need to get a hold of something that God wants you to get a hold of. I don't always know what it is. I don't even, I don't always know, you know. Um, but sometimes you just know. Sometimes God will, I mean, like I was, I was um, talking to someone this last week, and we were out and about and, and saw, uh, met, so, met somebody who, who, who's a witch, you know. I mean, how pagan can you get? But I saw the call of God on her life. I could see it on her. But, you know, everyone has a call of God in their life. I can't say that I've seen the, the call for each person. You know, why, why, would, why would God allow me to see the call on, on her? Probably because she needs to hear, God has called you. God has a call on your life. Not because not everybody else has a call. Everybody does. You know, we always have to take a step back and say, why is God showing me this? Is, it showing me, is he showing me this because she's the only person who has a call on her life? No, it's for a different reason. Amen. And you know, we don't go by feelings, but when that knowing in our heart is there, I always pray and ask God to carve out a place for someone here. If they've walked in and I can see that God wants them here, I don't say, you need to be here. Uh, I just pray, Lord, carve out a place for them among us here, you know, uh, that's easily seen for them so they can step into that and, and um, enjoy the benefits that a church can offer. So you know, we always need to be willing to make room for people, and I and I think um, we do a pretty good job of that here. But it's it's always good to keep that fresh in our mind because there's always going to be people in need of a church home. You know, and uh, I know that that always brings change. And it's not always comfortable at first. You know, we've we've had many new arrivals in our, in our home, me and Tammy's home over the years, kids, pets, visitors, things like that. But you know. The most of any one, or the most of any one kind, of new arrival that we've had in our home is dogs. So I'm going to use this as as just an illustration, you know, for the building up of the body, you know. And so I'm always, uh, you know, concerned about how the current dogs are going to react to the new arrival. In one particular case, I noticed that one of the current dogs did not take well to the new arrival because that current dog was used to being the baby dog. And he would do little obnoxious things that the other dogs would just kind of put up with. But see, he's not, he's not supposed to be a baby. He's an overgrown baby. He's not, you know, he's not supposed to be a baby anymore. <laughs> and you know, when the new puppy came, the current baby was suddenly moping around a lot. Why is this new arrival here? Probably wondering how long the little intruder is going to stay, you know. And you know, all the, the obnoxious puppy stuff that he used to do, was now being done to him because now there's a puppy that's being a puppy. And I noticed that, you know, he dropped all those bad habits. I mean, it worked wonders for him. It was like all of a sudden he was uh, acting like a grown-up dog, you know. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I know that in the past in churches, though I, you know, I haven't churches that I've been a part of, I hope, haven't always reacted to new arrivals the way that God probably wanted me to. But iron sharpens iron. So I hope I dropped some of my bad habits like the dog did. And I told Tammy, I said, it might be good practice when you have an overgrown baby dog to borrow someone else's obnoxious puppy for a while, a couple of weeks, you know, and see if those bad habits get worked out of the overgrown baby, you know. And then you can, you can, you can give the, the borrowed puppy back, and then all will be well because you don't have any puppies anymore. I don't know. That's just a theory. I haven't tried it out yet. But growing pains can be difficult. Now, in the body... Growing pains only last as long as they're going to last. I'm talking about the physical body. You know, as you grow, you know, you experience pains in your bones and things like that as you're growing. But they only last as long as it takes for you to grow physically. But then when it comes to relationships and growing pains that come about in relationships, those will last as long as it takes for the people to make the necessary adjustments. You know, because now it's based on a person's choice. And so the title of today's message is Growing. Uh, please turn with me in your Bible to First Peter chapter 2. That's going to be pretty far back. You're going to have to keep going until you get past Hebrews, and it's just past Hebrews. First Peter 2, if you would. Now, in the past, we have talked about this very subject before but I, I just haven't been able to get my heart off of it recently, and they taught us at Ramah that if you can't get your heart off a subject, you stay on it until you get that release from God to talk about something else. You know what I'm talking about when I say release from God? That's when you ask God uh, about a, is it okay if, if I step back from this for a while or whatever, and he might not say anything, but you just feel a, a peace, a release, you know, is, is what I'm talking about. And so, you know, I have to rein myself in because I'm anxious to get on to other things, talking about other things I want to. But God has been pressing on my heart to talk about this again. And even though I'm not fully aware of his reasons for it, I know it's him. Now, in the past, when we have talked about this, the focus has been on the growth within this church we talked about how there's more than one kind of growth. There's not just numerical growth, there's spiritual growth. And, and both of them are extremely important to the kingdom of God. And a lot of people like to focus on numbers, and they think if a church has a whole lot of numbers that they're extremely successful. Well, in that one area, they are. But what about other areas? If all the people there are baby Christians, how many know God doesn't want us to remain a baby forever? So that's just an example, you know. And uh, like I said, in the past, when I've talked about this subject... It's been I've been focusing on the growth within this body, this church, and but in my heart now I feel for this morning we are to look at this in light of the church as a whole across this nation. And I'm not going I mean by extension across the entire earth, but specifically this nation because let me tell you all the eyes of the world are looking at the, this nation right now. We had a uh, we would have a regular prayer meeting at. Uh, rhema before school would start and uh it was just it was a off you know it was a it was not an official prayer meeting it was just one of the teachers said i feel led that we need to be meeting together to pray for the nation and this was several years back and so i would go and uh, we had a guy there that was from china he was a uh, uh, had been a member of the underground church in china and he was there and uh he, the guy who was facilitating it, I mean, he, the, guy, the, the teacher who was facilitating it didn't, didn't usually say a whole lot. He would give us a couple of words about things that he'd been reading in the media and things like that, and then we would just spend like half an hour just praying, just straight prayer. And there was an open mic for if someone got something that they felt was from God, they'd come up and they'd, they'd share, and then you know, we'd pray about that. But he asked, uh, he, the, the facilitator one morning asked the Chinese guy, he said, he said will you come up and, and uh, pray? And he said, okay. So he's up there, and he, was, uh, he had prayed. And when he finished praying, uh, the teacher says, what, do, what does the underground church in China pray for? He said, us? He said, we pray for the church in America. The teacher said, why? Why do you pray for the church in America? He said, because all the world, he said, we know that all the world watches the American church, watches America. And he's not putting a greater importance on America or the American church, but he's simply saying, because of the prominence that the American church has in the world all the rest of the churches in the world watch this so <clears throat> that's why I feel that we're talking about this specifically so I want to look at this in light of the church across this nation this idea of growing because many of them want to grow now I'm talking about numerical growth I'm not necessarily talking about spiritual growth but I mean you know you ask any, any, any church body across this nation and they'll say yes we want to grow numerically and that is definitely tied into the Great Commission. So it's not wrong that they should desire that. But of course, you always have to bring into why do you want to grow? What are the motives behind you wanting to grow? But understanding that that numerical growth is a biblical principle, that's enough for now. And so many of these churches across America want to grow, or at least they like the idea of growing. When they actually start to experience growth, that might be another matter. They might say, wait a minute. These aren't the kind of people we want here or whatever. But it's, and I say that because it's been so long since many of them have grown numerically that they may have forgotten what growing pains feel like. And so we need to be in prayer for them as, 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 that they are able to handle it. Okay? Because there are revival fires being kindled as we speak. I just read about that worship leader on the west coast that he's been going up and up and down the coast doing outdoor worship services because in California they don't want you doing indoor services so they're just taking they're taking church to the, to the beach, to the park, wherever people are getting saved, baptized with the spirit, healed baptized in the ocean, which is cool and, and, and he's had good success going up and down the coast well, now uh just recently, they were getting ready to go into a park in Seattle, and they get there, and the, the, the park is fenced off. This has been kind of, you know, you may have heard about this because it's kind of a, you know, kind of a big thing. The park's fenced off. They called and said, why is the park fenced off? And the city told them, well, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't want to encourage these large gatherings because we want to be able to keep the park, op- op- park open. Isn't that ironic? They closed the park in order to keep it open. So anyway, he says, uh, "Well, okay, you know." And so, well, what happened? Well, (laughs) the people just took to the streets and began to worship Jesus by the thousands in the streets, where where a couple doors down, there's riots going on. There are stirrings, and and praise God for that. It's awesome, and it's just the beginning. If we keep to prayer got to keep we we got we got to keep at it okay but see when when these revivals begin to spread and meet up with each other and spread even more what will all those new christians experience when they walk through the church doors what kind of reception will they get this is why we need to pray for unity in the body of christ that they can get past their differences when the new people, I mean, who knows what some of these people will look like when they come in. As they say, water goes to the lowest place, the lowest point. So when people walk in, let's pray that the body is in unity. Well, how can that happen? Well, because they can look and see past how a person looks and how a person acts, and they can see, I can see some similarities between us because we both belong to Christ. That's the most basic level of our unity. In fact, it's the only level. We're united in Christ. So that's what uh, the word means when it talks about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the, the children to the fathers. It's not just a generational divide, although that's a big one. It's so that we can get the most out of the growth that we do experience. Growth is good but it comes with pains. All right, let's read this verse here in 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 2. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That you may what? Grow thereby. So what do Christians grow with? The milk of the word. And when we say the milk of the word, we're talking about the basic things that God has presented to us, faith, hope, love, these things. This is why primarily on Sunday morning, we teach the milk of the word because there's no way of knowing who might walk through the door on Sunday and where they are spiritually. Just don't know. For people who know very little, they're not ready for some of the things that we know. Jesus told the disciples when he was getting ready to go to the cross, there are many things I have to say to you, but you can't bear them now. I want to show you something key that Paul talked about. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Got to go back a ways. We'll be heading back that direction. You can leave a bookmark there if you want to, but we're not going to going back to 1 Peter specifically. But over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2... I can find it. There it is. Let's look in verse 1. It's just the beginning of the chapter. Now, Paul's talking to the church here. Verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's milk. He's telling them, I brought milk. Paul had a specific priority. Remember, we talked about that last week. We looked at Paul's priorities, the apostles' priorities. You know, are you saved? Great. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? There's that progression of things that now, now we go here now we go here. It's like, it's like taking, it's like going to, um, you know, like I heard one minister use the illustration of, of math. You know, first you start with number recognition. This is a one. This is a two. This is a three. Then you do addition, then you do subtraction, then you do multiplication. And a lot of people are having it struggling in the church because someone is you know, they're they're still on they're still on addition and someone's saying, Okay, now it's time for calculus. I mean, it doesn't work. You got you got to give people milk so they can grow and get to a point where they can get to the meat. And so Paul said, I didn't I didn't come to you with excellence of speech and wisdom. Why? Because lost people need to learn about being saved before they they can learn any other subject in this word because it won't do them any lasting good unless they first are saved. So he said, I knew nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then, of course, he moved on to other things. Look what he says to them in verse 4. He says, In my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The meat of the word is for those who are mature, but it's the milk of the word that grows those immature parts of us. Turn with me to the next chapter, chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk. And not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? When Paul is talking about spiritual people, he's talking about mature people. And when he says carnal, it's the same as immature And Paul gives some examples of things here that show immaturity. Envy, strife, and divisions. Remember, we just talked about praying for unity in the body of Christ. Divisiveness is a sign of immaturity. Because where people are drawing up dividing lines, no, it has to be my way. Where when when you're looking for unity, you're looking for reasons to unite. Let's agree on this, at least. There are a lot of divisions in the church world today, as you know. you know. I've seen some glimmer of churches starting to get excited about working together. But how many of you know, unless people continue pushing hard down that path, it'll lose steam and get shut down. Or if they're just trying to do it in their own strength. They've got to rely on God. Anyway, I don't want to get off on of topic here. So I have this question, you know, what are signs of maturity? Because we have a few signs of immaturity he gives us. And, you know, we, we've seen a few red flags, envy, fa- strife, divisions, What are the signs of spiritual maturity then? Over in chapter 13 of this same book, Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So it didn't just happen. It wasn't like when I became a man, all of a sudden I was acting like a man. When I became a man, I had to put away childish things in order to act like a man. Do you see that? He had to say, there are some things that children do or that are childish that I need to not do anymore. And so, you know, it might not, it, it, it is a process then. Because we don't put away every childish thing at once. You know, right after I graduated high school, you know, I did what I wanted. I drove up the hill to hang out with my friends, play video games, eat pizza. But at some point I met Tammy. And suddenly those things weren't my number one priority anymore. I didn't completely throw them out, but my focus had now changed. And then once Tammy and I got married, my focus on me began to shift more toward her, taking care of her, watching out for her. And then when Chloe was born, my focus began to shift more. Then Isaac was born, and then Samuel. And then my focus was on learning how to take care of an entire household. But it's a gradual thing. I mean, you're talking about years it was a process. You know, and some of us here, you know, some of you like me, if you have kids, you, you know, you've, you've invested a lot into your children. And uh, sometimes we wonder, did I invest the right thing or, or whatever, but can't worry about that. That's the past. And, you know, it's, it's almost a surprise on the day when you're about to do something, you know, do some chore or something, and one of your kids says, I'll do that for you, Dad. Really? Just like that, you know, Just like and just like us, then, you know, one of God's main interests is his children. We talked about that earlier before I started here. Remember that verse in James, We you know, we, we mentioned before. If you, you know, every first of all, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. That too. In other words, if you invest in God, he'll invest in you. Of course, he'll invest in you anyway because that's just how good he is. He has invested a lot into your life. Why? Because he loves you. You're his child. If a person needs to be saved, did God invest in that need? If a person needs, needs wisdom, did God invest in that need? I mean, about salvation. God loved the, so loved the whole world, he gave his only begotten son. You need wisdom. Anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord. If a person needs healing, did God invest into that need? By his stripes, you were healed. So he's investing in us, and he's investing in us, and he's investing in us. But at what point does a person turn and ask God, you've invested so much into me, Lord, now what can I do for you? And that is a mature question. So what are the signs of spiritual maturity? One of the signs of a mature Christian is a desire in them to promote what God is interested in in the earth. Lord, what are you interested in? What do you want to see me doing? Where do you need me? Now I believe that we're all maturing. Some of us are more mature in certain areas than others. No one can say I'm arrived. I'm not fully mature. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, not that I've attained, but I press on for the upward call of Christ. He said, I I, I press on. This move towards spiritual maturity is a process. We don't just wake up one day as a spiritual adult. Then we realize, "I I am maturing now. I'm gaining some ground. What childish things do I need to be putting away? You remember in that 80s movie, Big, with Tom Hanks? Remember that movie? I neither endorse that movie nor do not endorse it. This 12-year-old kid, you know, he wishes he was an adult. It happens overnight. It's just awkward if you've seen it. He makes all kinds of mistakes because he's not ready for that sudden change. Now, I make a point to say this, this is a process because I just don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you thinking, man, I need to be so much further than I am along right now. God's well pleased with your process if you're working toward it. No one's all the way there yet, but we press on. Amen? Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, so when is he going to get to the part where he actually tells me how to do this, how to, how to mature, right? Turn in with me in your Bible over to 2 Peter. We were in 1 Peter, now we're going to 2 Peter. Chapter 1. 2 Peter. Get a drink of water. How are we all doing with this so far? Growing pains. First Peter 1, verse 5. Now, this is one of these, these areas of the Bible that really gets... It's easy to skip over it without really putting a lot of effort... or not, I shouldn't say effort, but it can, it can seem overwhelming. But don't let it overwhelm you. Just remember this is a process, and God expects us to take it in steps. Verse 5, he says, But also for this very reason... Giving all diligence, that means working hard. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self control. To self control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours... See, now he's going to tell us why to add those things. Now he's going to tell us why. This is why you work hard at this. This is why you work at these things. Not in your own strength, but in God's strength. This is why you work... He's going to tell us what the reward is now of doing that. Verse 9, he says, For he who lacks... Oh, excuse me, verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins okay so this is a this this is a this is a huge deal this is a big deal here now don't don't be concerned about it because you're probably if you're a Christian and you've been spending time with God, you've been working at a relationship with him, you've already been a part of this process without even knowing it, unless you did know it. But if you, if you, didn't, if you didn't, then you have already been working towards it, working towards this goal. Now, um, notice that he starts with faith because that's how we receive the new birth. You can't become a Christian without having faith. The Bible says that God is, has uh, measured out to each one the measure of faith. He's given to each one the measure of faith. So Everyone's got faith, because that's that's, where you're, that's your starting point. So, okay, I hear about Jesus. I confess with my mouth he is my Lord and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. I am now a baby Christian. None of us has an advantage over any other Christian when you first are born again. Everyone starts out as a baby. So now, as a baby Christian, I still have faith. I had to have faith in order to accept Jesus, so I have faith. I have it. But can I grow in faith? Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Hearing and hearing. Hearing and hearing and hearing. Hearing and hearing. Again and again. The word, hearing it. Add to your faith virtue. Well, what's virtue? That's your moral standards. Virtue is what you see as right and wrong. And, you know, I'll just, this is a side note, I mean, I may, who knows, I may, I'm, I'm already getting ready to go over time here, but I'll go a little long, it's okay. It won't kill us. it won't kill us. So, then, virtue, you know, now, and we say that's, that is, every, every person has virtue, because every person has a view of what is right and wrong, but there's a lot of people nowadays that are, that are wanting to pick and choose what parts of the Bible they see as right and wrong, <clears throat> And they are not wanting to yield to what God said, to everything that God says is right and wrong. But the answer is, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're talking to someone and they're like, well, uh, you know, if they take something that you know the word says is wrong and they, they try to approve it, or they try to say it's right, the question is, uh, who determines what's right and wrong? Without God, there is no determination of right and wrong without somebody who is higher without without someone who is an ultimate authority no one can really say what what right and wrong is because you can because if a person is wanting to slide with something here say there say well you know white lies are okay a lot of people have talked about that or a lie to save somebody's life well jesus didn't need to, to, to lie to save the world first of all so you can you can say all lying is wrong but if a person tries to say, "Well, what about white lies, or or whatever? What if this is an issue for them? They want to they want to keep a white lie is a is a lie that people consider to be of no consequence. It's just a little, you know, yeah. So then, the question is, you can okay, well, well, then what is wrong to you? Use an example. Is is murder wrong? And the person will most likely say, "Well, yes, murder is wrong. Okay, well, why? Why is it wrong? If there's no God." If there's no ultimate authority to say this, they could say, well, because it's against the law. Where do we get our law? Our law is based on this. Why? Because God said so. This thing, this is about Him. Not about me. It's not about what I see as right and wrong. When He says, add to your faith virtue, virtue is learning to Say, okay, God, you said that this is wrong, and I right now believe it's right. I now have to change my view because you said it's wrong. Because without God saying what's right and wrong, right and wrong has no meaning. Anyway, I preached that a little harder than I meant to. So as I learn more about what God considers right, I can keep changing my view of what is right in line with his view. That's growing in virtue. Hmm. Where do I look at his view? The word. And then I add to virtue what? Knowledge. What good is knowledge without having a, a firm understanding of what's right and wrong? Once I have some knowledge, can I grow in more knowledge? Thank you. Yes, you. yes, I can. Where do I get knowledge about spiritual matters? The Word. Remember, we're talking about growing. I can grow in knowledge. And then next, add to knowledge, self-control. Self-control is one that um, is difficult for people. Self-control is related to virtue. Virtue But see, virtue has to do with perception of right and wrong. Self-control has to do with action. Virtue is my moral standards. Self-control is whether I follow those standards or not. What do we call a person who believes one way and then lives a different way? A hypocrite. A hypocrite is a believer who has added virtue to faith but has little or no self-control. That's a sign that they are a baby Christian. That's that's a sign that I, I can say you know you, you you I can see that you you're showing signs of spiritual immaturity and you need to grow up a little bit. Or I can say that to myself if I need to. Okay, now then, what do we add to self-control? Perseverance. Perseverance has to do with living a victorious life in Christ. People love to hear about perseverance. They don't really like to hear about self-control a whole lot. Of course, I'm not talking about anybody in this room or anybody online. It, 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 but but it, it makes sense that if I add I, that I must add perseverance to self-control because how can I persevere if I have no self-control? Now all these things right here benefit. The individual believer, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, those are all a benefit to me if I have them. They are benefiting me. Okay? Others can benefit from what you've got. They can. You know. But primarily, this is going to benefit you or benefit, I could say, the most often because who's around you more often than you are? Okay, so then now what do we add to perseverance? Godliness. That word is, is pretty affected in our culture. In fact, if, if you know, I, growing up, I kind of looked at it as like, if some, I mean, if somebody was to say, well, you know, I'm pretty godly, th- that would sound like pride, you know. So then you might have an aversion to the word. But really, all that word means, if you look it up, it, it just really means a continuing devotion to God. Remembering our first love. I would call it remembering our first love. Just like over here on the, the wall, the banner, remembering our, remember your first love. Jesus told the church at Ephesus that they had lost their first love, meaning Jesus himself. So godliness is really maintaining that heart and passion for Jesus. See, it's, it's an easy thing to do that if, if, we, if we get caught up in exercising faith, virtue, knowledge, and the rest, because we depend on him for all those things. But it's also easy to fall away from that. And that's why it's here as a reminder. And guess what? You know, I can can grow in love and devotion to Jesus, too. You can grow in all these things, all these things. So if I, as a baby Christian, begin to add and grow in these things, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and godliness, these things all benefit me. Okay? But look at verse 7 now. To godliness, what? What? Brotherly kindness to godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness can only be kindness to others. Up until now, everything has been inward. But brotherly kindness is something that we exercise outwardly. See, this is a process he's taking us through. Start here, start at faith, then add to faith, virtue, add to virtue, knowledge, but he gets, and, and those things are all benefiting me. But then when I get to brotherly kindness, now the focus has begun to shift from me to others. After I've already been built up in some things. Um, You know, I mean, this this is now, this shift in focus now. I'm, I'm I'm not only thinking about myself. Now I'm starting to show an interest In others, very interesting. Well, now, can I grow in kindness? Still talking about growing. Once I'm operating at this level, at the basic level, can I operate in brotherly kindness at greater levels? What do we add then to brotherly kindness? Love. Now, remember, if we read the, the love chapter, we see that love is ultimately a choice, what 1 Corinthians 13 really tells us is that love is saying no to the way the flesh wants to treat people in favor of treating them how God wants us to treat people. Seeing someone act on that principle, you can look at, just, just look at Jesus. He walked in love all the time. Seeing him act, you can, take a, you can take a single time that Jesus walked in love and you can say that is a visual example of what it looks like. To love. You can say, and then beyond that, you can say, that is a visual example of being mature. <laughs> Someone asked Brother Hagen once, What's the spirit- what, what, what is, is uh, spiritual maturity in relation to faith? What is it? How important is it in relation to faith? The reason he asked him that is because Ramah is all about faith. So he says, so what? So he's trying to figure it out. What, how important is spiritual maturity in relation to faith? What is it? And he said, without flinching, Brother Higgins said, well, it's everything. Haven't you ever read Faith Works Through Love? Love is. is the, when a person begins to walk in love, they've taken a step in the direction of spiritual maturity. And Jesus didn't always have nice things to say to people. Jesus. Spoke harsh words from time to time, but he never caused harm to somebody. But he would tell them, you're living in sin. Right? He told the woman caught caught in adultery. He didn't punish her, but he said, go and sin no more. I don't judge you, but go and sin no more. See, just saying that someone is in sin is not judgment right because it couldn't be if Jesus is if Jesus was was not a liar and he said I don't judge you now go sin no more so then calling out sin is not judgment just saying so now Jesus walking in love is saying no to the selfish nature to a, the sinful nature remember Jesus what he said about that, he said, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. What's he saying? I'm laying down what I'm going to say, and I'm laying down what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do what the Father says. I'm going to say what the Father says, I'm going to do what the Father does. That's a, com- that's a life that's completely yielded to God. That's a complete submission to your virtue, you say it. You say do this, I do it. You say this is wrong, I say it's wrong. You say this is right, I say it's right. That's the way Jesus operated. I'm here to do what he wants. And of course, the Father sent Jesus because he so loved the world. It's maturity. So the motivation is love the way that God says to love. So many seem to put a higher emphasis on faith nowadays. We want more miracles. We want more healings. We want more prosperity. You achieve those things or you acquire those things by faith. But faith works through love. At the same time, how many of you know that if I I hear God tell me something in his word, it takes faith to step out and trust him? See how these things work together. It takes virtue to see the way things God sees them. It takes knowledge to walk out the plans he gives us. Can't execute a plan without knowledge. It takes self-control to live in a way that pleases him. It takes perseverance to overcome obstacles that try to come between us and him. It takes godliness to keep that passion to pursue him alive. It takes brotherly kindness to take an interest in the lives of others, people he puts in our path. It takes love for, for us to be useful to God. Paul said if I if I if I had faith to move mountains but had not love I'm nothing That's why love is the last one on the list. And then I tell you something it's not like I perfect faith and then I move on to virtue and I perfect virtue no it's a it's a cycle. It takes you it take faith, it takes you uh, to faith to virtue to knowledge to self-control to perseverance and then to uh, what was after that um, I can't even remember. There's so many of them. But the last one is love. But faith works through love. So you can see it takes it from love straight back to faith again. And now you walk through virtue and knowledge and all the rest again. And around and around we go. Amen? <laughs> Jesus said the world will know we are his followers by what? Our love for one another, maturity. Love reveals God's number one interest. Remember when I mentioned, Lord, you've poured all this into me, now what can I do for you? What are you interested in? Love reveals God's number one interest. I heard a minister say one time, and he he said, you know, he said, God showed me this so many years ago, I can't even tell you how it came about. He said, but the gospels reveal God's number one interest. Why did Jesus come to the earth? To seek, and see, to seek and save that which was lost. The lost are God's number one interest. He said the book of Acts reveals God's number two interest. Everywhere, be filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, his number two interest is getting filled with the Holy Spirit. The number three interest, all, all, he, said, he said that all the epistles reveal God's number, th- his number three interest, his third interest, and it's becoming spiritually mature. Because all the epistles deal with becoming spiritually mature. But becoming spiritually mature comes with growing pains. And now I'm going to shift gears a little bit. In other words, just be expecting growing pains. And if you begin to experience growing pains, just recognize that that's not failure while you're growing. Experiencing pain while you're growing in the Lord is not Failure. Okay. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 13. We still doing good? Anybody need a hug? <laughs> She'll take 3 or 4. Mental hug. Matthew 13. Okay, look at verse 1 with me. We're going to be here for a while. We're going to read a lot of these verses, so just bear, bear with me and take a breath. Verse 1. It says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, Some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now look over to verse 18 with me. He's going to give the explanation. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received seed on stony places... This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, God, uh, what what Jesus is doing here is he's explaining these different soil types. These different soil types represent human hearts. Do I have a hard heart? Do I have a stony heart? Do I have a thorny heart? Or, uh, you know... What kind of heart? Do I have a good, you know, this good heart that's going to receive? Is this good soil? And so every person themselves decide what type of soil their heart is going to be when they hear God's word. And this is not talking about, this is just talking about a single preaching of the word. If it's true to tell someone Jesus loves you and and I stop there, I've still spoken truth into their heart, so I have now scattered seed. Now, how they receive it is up to them. But God influences people when we pray and ask, Lord prepare that's why we say Lord prepare their heart to receive what you want them to hear. Help them understand it. God expects us to put effort into understanding it, but we can still he'll still help people to understand. Okay. So then I always want to be I always want to endeavor to be the good soil. I want to be the one that bears fruit hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Because we get this idea of different levels of return. But notice Jesus uses the picture of a harvest. Okay, he said, it's a harvest. It's a, it's a, it's a, this is a, a, a harvest. That means that it's a process. Because you don't plant seed and then all of a sudden have a harvest overnight. So it's a patient. I, I, I receive the word into my heart. And I act on the word. And over time, I'll produce a harvest. That's why the word says don't, don't weary in doing good because if, you, if, you, if we don't give up, we will reap a harvest. All different kinds of harvests to reap in life. Let's look at verse 24. And this is where things kind of shift here. He, he says, it says another parable he put forth to them, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. What kind of seed is it? It's good seed. Good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? the tares. But he said, "No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them into bundles and to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn." Now, to get the interpretation, let's skip over to verse thirty-six. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, "Explain to us the parable of the, we, or, or the tares. Excuse me, the parable of the tares of the field." He answered and said to them, "He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Remember, we just recently talked about the two kingdoms: God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom." The sons of the kingdom, it's good seed, therefore it's the sons of the kingdom of God. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all good all things that offend excuse me gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness that's key and will cast them into the furnace of fire there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 39, Jesus says, The harvest in this parable is the end of the age. We've been talking about the end times, and this sort of touches on it. So, because the harvest is the end of the age, we can see that this parable is not talking about a single preaching of the gospel. This parable is talking about all the preaching of the gospel, all the seed planted in this entire age. We're looking at this from a bird's eye view right now. In both of these parables, where does the seed come from? It comes from Jesus in both parables. Jesus told us that he came to seek and save that which is lost. What was his motivation for doing that? Love. What is God's primary interest in this world? The lost. That's why Jesus came. It's why he spreads the seed. Now now that he's in heaven, who does he spread the seed through? us his body Jesus told us to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest we're the laborers so again this is a bird's eye view in the parable of the sower the soil is the hearts of the people listening to that single preaching of the gospel but in the parable of the wheat and the tares the soil is the world the wheat are the sons of God's kingdom the tares are the sons of the devil his kingdom and all those are allowed to grow together he said. And we wonder, you know, some of us wonder, why does God allow bad people to roam the earth? Why didn't he just come now? Time's not right. Because they're only these people that run around and do evil on the earth, they are only allowed to do that until harvest time. Okay? Jesus said that if they were removed now, the wheat would be uprooted along with them. What does that mean? He's saying that if they were removed now, they will be lost in the kingdom. People who, he'd say, people who have come to me would be lost to me if the, all the wicked are removed right now. Time's not right. Not fully harvest time yet. So they say, should we pull the tares out now, Lord? He says, no, let them grow together until harvest time it can be difficult to tell the difference between wheat and tares but there's one sure way to tell because the grain that grows in the head of wheat i'm talking about the physical wheat and tares now because tares are it's a it's a kind of plant they call darnel it looks just like wheat but it has a it has a fungus that it's susceptible to that if people eat it they can die And so it's difficult to tell the difference if you go out into a wheat field. It's difficult to tell that's a tear, that's wheat, until harvest time. Because at harvest time, the wheat, the, the grain that forms in the head of wheat, is so heavy that it actually makes wheat bend over like it's bowing. And tares don't do that, they stay standing up. So at harvest time, it's easy to spot the difference. Because the weed is bowing, but the tares are standing up. Stay here in Matthew, but turn back to chapter 7. Now remember that line there that I said to keep in mind where he says, He gathers out of his kingdom all that offends and those who practice lawlessness. Remember that that phrase. Let's go back to chapter 7. Verse 15. Take a deep breath. We're almost there. We're almost there. This is Jesus speaking. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Still talking about growing. You'll know them by their fruits. If there's, if there's good fruit, there must be bad fruit. you know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Why? Because of the fruit? No, but because it's a bad tree. Because a tree is identified by its fruit. You see that? Practice lawlessness. Hmm. This passage scares people. But all Jesus is saying is that people who do the will of the Father are the ones who he will acknowledge and save from hell. That's all he's saying. Doesn't matter if a person works miracles. If they're a bad tree, he sees it as bad fruit. And I mean, even even baby Christians can work miracles. Remember that church that Paul said, you're so immature that I can still only feed you milk? That church was known for miraculous things happening in that church. Just because a person works a miracle doesn't mean that they're mature. But see, what he's saying is here is these people that were working these miracles aren't even saved. They probably started out that way. See, can a person lose their salvation? Yes, they can. How? Practicing lawlessness. Why does he send them away? Because they are practicing lawlessness. In other words, they are not not acknowledging God's virtue. They're not operating in self-control. Those are two key things. Living in unrepentant sin really is what it is. Because they knew better, obviously. If they're prophesying, if they're casting out demons, they know something. So they're 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 not repenting of what they're doing. They're practicing lawlessness in unrepentance. See, that's the side. That's that's the side of you know we we mentioned it before. I wanted to teach on it, but I but I never uh, really got there. But talking about the fear of the Lord, people are like, "What is the fear of the Lord?" It's not being afraid of God. It's that reverential awe. Of his awesomeness. And on the one side of the coin, you have, I live to please him because of how awesome he is. The other side of the coin is, I live, not to di- I live to not displease him because of how just he is. The Bible talks about how God's both kind and severe, but it has to do with how a person operates in the earth. Are they practicing lawlessness? If they know better, they ought not be doing that. I mean, they shouldn't do it anyway, but Jesus will make sure that they hear the good news. So this, this idea, because people get scared. Well, I mean, if people who are prophesying and casting out demons are, are going to hell, how do I know if I'm going to heaven? Just don't practice lawlessness. You know, it's not, that, it's, it's not complicated. Jesus said that those who do the will of the Father will enter heaven. Doing the will of the Father bears good fruit. It, the, and your good fruit identifies you. But what he, what, Jesus, these people asked Jesus, they, he, did, he did a, a miracle. He, he made, you remember he made the bread, or he you know, fed the 5,000, and the, they chased him down. He went to a different town, they chased him down and said, hey, we want you to do that again. Why? So we can get fed. Jesus said, you're, you're not pursuing me because you want to hear the truth, you're pursuing me because of the bread, the miracle. They said, we want to do the works of God too. What does that mean? We want to make bread too. So we don't have to work anymore. Jesus said the only thing that the Father expects you to do is believe on the one who he sent. That's what the Father wants. The Father wants people to believe in Jesus, to accept Jesus, and then to live to please Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, there's love again. You will keep my commandments by default. Amen. Did I beat this thing to death? So practicing... Practicing lawlessness bears bad fruit. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Just like there is a process unto life, there is a process unto death. And everyone in the world is growing together until the harvest time. The question is which direction are they growing? See, I know this is heavy, but there are Christians across this nation who have settled themselves into lifestyles that are not pleasing to God. I've had God call me out on things every now and then. Hey, stop that. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) See, because our process doesn't stop after we accept Christ. It keeps going. So we need to stay away from what God tells us is sin, okay, so that we can begin to bear the kind of fruit that God approves of, amen? Still saved by grace, but it's not bad to bear good fruit after you've been saved, amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your will in this earth, I thank you, Lord, that you are working behind the scenes and that you are changing lives, you are touching hearts, there are people that you know, in parts of the world that we may may never even heard of, or just don't hear about very often, but you are there, and you are working. We ask, Lord, that you continue to prepare the hearts of the people in this nation. I ask, Lord, for that bond of unity in the church. I ask that they can see past labels and uh, uh, you know all these things that people have have under undertaken to identify themselves. See past all that and identify, be able to identify others as a brother or sister in Christ. I pray, Father God, that as you work out revival in this land, that you, you make sure that people are in the right place at the right time, to hear the right word in due season, and wake up those parts of the church that are still sleeping. And I thank you and I praise you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Praise God.